turning there. Tonight, we're going to be talking about legacy. We think about the word legacy, we think about something that's really important to most people. We want to leave behind something that's important, something that people care about, something that's worthwhile. And the legacy we're going to look at is the legacy of King Asa. And we're jumping back into the divided kingdom of Judah. And this is the first generation after the divided kingdom. And we find ourselves in the midst of wicked kings and, and in this situation, a righteous king. And we're going to do that by looking at three different kings, by Asa, by Asa's father, Abijah, and by his son, Jehoshaphat. It's going to be a lot of passages, um, but it's going to be a good study of what it means to leave a godly legacy, despite being surrounded by wickedness. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help tonight. Father, I ask that you would grant me clarity, that you would give me the ability to proclaim the word of God boldly, and that you would use the word of God today to impact my heart first, and that those here in attendance would just get a glimpse of what you've done in my heart this week through this passage. I pray that we would indeed leave a legacy of godliness, a legacy that is one based on being wholly committed to you. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. It was Ronald Reagan who once said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children through the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what, is, what it was once like in the United States of America was free. Ronald Reagan. That quote is a famous quote about political and social issues, about a time in America where there were a lot of problems, and there are still problems politically and socially. And yet the problems politically and socially in today's world are nothing compared to the larger crisis that we face as believers, and that is a moral crisis. You and me face a moral crisis in this country. This country is turning its back on absolute truth. This country does not believe in Christianity anymore. We will soon, if, the, the, if this country does not turn its ways, become a minority, become a situation where we have to suffer persecution, we have to suffer more discomfort. And the moral crisis is not just in the ether, in our culture, it's also in our homes, because we have to decide for ourselves who we're going to be and what kind of legacy we're going to leave behind. Because we can't make excuses. We can't just say, well, this is our country. This is what it's going to be like. This is where it's headed. This is our decision. We have to decide today that we are going to pursue God. And today, as we look at the sins of the father in Abijam, the, the, the father of Asa, we're going to see a backdrop and we're, uh, for Asa's childhood. We're going to see how Asa saw the world. And keep in mind, this is a, an interesting time in history. This is just 17 years into the divided kingdom between Judah and Israel. Jeroboam, a wicked king, is reigning in the north. And Rehoboam has just died after 17 years of ruling in Judah. The Davidic line continues from David to Solomon in the United Kingdom to Rehoboam, the first wicked king of the south, and now Abijam, 
We find ourselves looking at the life of Abijam and the sins of the father. As we look at him, we need to see, we need to realize this is what Asa was seeing. This is the pattern that he was looking at. And he was making his decisions in light of this man's reign. This is what he saw as a young man. So look with me at 1 Kings chapter 15. We'll begin verses 1 through 8. Now in the 18th year of the king of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abimashal. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing in Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. As we begin this study, let's think through kind of the the pattern that we're going to see. We're going to see first just an introductory to who we're talking about. In the first couple verses, we're going to see this is the person we're talking about. This is when they reign. This is who they're connected with. And then there's a statement, a verdict, if you will, on who this man is. Did they wholly seek the Lord? Did they follow after the ways of God or did they follow after the ways of the world? And then there's evidences listed, given as to why this was so. And this is evidences of of them seeking the Lord or, or them not seeking the Lord. And then we see sort of the consequences of their lives and what happens as a result of their lives. And this Abijam here in verses 1 and 2 is 18, in the 18th year of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat in the north of Israel. And he began reigning over Judah. He reigned three years. It's a short rule. It's three years. And he's connected to someone here. He's connected to Makkah. There's biographic information here about who she is. This is the granddaughter of Absalom. This is one of Rehoboam's eight wives, Rehoboam the wicked king, the mother of Abijah, the grandmother of Asa. And we have a connection here that's not a good connection. And this begins a pattern, a theme of legacy. You see, the people that were around, the people that we, uh, we show our lives to, often become like us. And, his, and, and Abijah's father and grandfather and, and mother are not godly people. They're not people you want to pattern your life after. And what happens here is that he's connected to this woman, and we will see later on what happens as a result. But first, let's look at verse 3, and it's a really powerful section here. It's very clear as to who Abijam is. It says in verse 3, he walked in the sins that his father did before him. Let's pause here, and let's think about that statement. He walked in the sins that his father father did before him. We're going to see that name pop up over and over and over again. Father, 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 father. 
And for those of you who are fathers, you can identify with that very easily. But for those of you who aren't fathers, think about it in this way. Think about the people that you are around all the time. That you have a part in formulating their theology, formulating how they view the world, their, their worldview. Think about the people you teach in Sunday school. People that you, that you are around during the week. People that you talk to every single day. The people that pattern their life after you because you're older than them and they respect you and they care about you and they want to be like you. And even if they're not trying to, they're probably going to take on some of those characteristics. Even, you can probably look at your own lives, just think through, how am I like my parents? Like, what are the things in my life that I do exactly like my mom or just exactly like my dad? Like, I didn't even try to pick this up, but I do this thing. And maybe it's annoying and maybe it's fun. Maybe it's a, it's a mix of both, but we carry on these characteristics and it's a family legacy for better or for worse. And we, we have the situation where he walked in the sins that his father did before him. So we're already seeing the consequences of a wicked father. It says, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father was. So we've seen a wicked example, a wicked man walking in the ways of a wicked father, and also a mention of the heart of David, who sought wholly after the Lord, who loved the Lord, a man of God. And we're going to see this pop up again. He is wholly true to God. He is committed entirely to God. And he's walking. This walking is a deliberate step. And it's a, either a positive thing or a negative thing. Think about it this way. Think about a snowstorm. Think about maybe like a foot of snow. And a father is taking his son out to walk to help him, to show him how to shovel. And he has his son in his left hand. And because the snow is so deep, the son walks in the footsteps of his father. Why? Because it's easy. It's easy to walk in the steps of your father because you see it. It's easy to walk in the steps of someone you respect and love and care about because you see it and you know what it looks like and it's comfortable. And that puts weight on you fathers. It puts weight on you teachers, even on you mothers and Sunday school teachers and people of church who the young people in this church look up to you and they see you and they want to be like you because you are respected and loved and cared for. And unfortunately, for Abijam, he has examples to look up to that are wicked. Even think of his grandfather Solomon. 1 Kings 11, 4, When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And it's heartbreaking because Solomon here had an example of a man who pursued God, and yet in his old age, he pursued the world, what the world could give him. And think of Abijam's father, Rehoboam, in 1 Kings 14, verse 22. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all, the, all that their fathers had done. And he walked in the ways of his father. 
It's a sad thing. And yet it can be a beautiful thing when a father is walking with the Lord, when a father is showing his son what it means to be a man of God, it can be a beautiful picture. Think of a son taking over a family business, a son walking in his father's footsteps. Many of you know this story, but I'm going to tell it again. My father owned a cleaning business for several years, for about 10 years, and when he owned the cleaning business, I would just help him by walking back and forth and pulling cords and pulling cords while he was working on floors or just filling up mop buckets or something really simple and that just walking back and forth just like that that was all that I did until I got good at other things and I, I got used to, to how to mop and how to clean and then I was responsible for more and more and more until I was able to do the things my father was doing because I saw him doing it and I saw what it was to be committed to that business a much more important business that we have is to walk in the ways of godliness. We have to be committed. We have to look at those who have done it well. We have to look at those who have walked before us and ran before us and those who are encouraging us to walk with Christ and we have to do what they're doing. We have to be willing to also see that there are faults because those people are human beings. And know that we are all in the, part of the sanctification process that they are in as well. We also have to be aware that it is possible to walk in the ways of our fathers and not walk with God. And it's far more important to walk with our heavenly father than to walk with our humanly father. Although it is a good thing. And in this passage, Abijam's heart is being exposed Back when David was being anointed to be the next king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16, it says that God looks on the heart. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearances or his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what we see in this passage. We're going to see things, positive things and negative things from these men's lives, and some Good men are going to have some negative things in their life. These men are not perfect. And yet God looks at the heart. And God sees right here in the heart. And he says, this is a man of God who wholly seeks me, who wholly loves me, who dedicates his life to me. Even though he's not perfect, this man desires to be with God, desires to be like God. He looks at the heart. And this man, Abijam, was in the line of David. He may have been a good communicator, a smart, intelligent ruler, a leader of men, able to rally troops and his people well, but he was not wholly true to God. And my prayer today is that we, should, we would not be as successful in life as we are godly in our hearts, because God forbid that we should be successful in this life and ungodly. We have to be godly. We have to want to pursue Christ. And yes, there is a war raging inside of us. We have desires, we have temptations, and yet we also understand that we have a God who has defeated sin and death. We have a God who has given us hope and victory in Jesus Christ, and we are more than conquerors because of him. We also understand that this God has never changed, and his promises never change. Look at verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord 
his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, that is a lineage or a son, an heir, setting up his son after him, establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And this mercy, this promise of God, it harkens back to the Davidic covenant, really, from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is based on the faithfulness of God. This is based on who God is, not the perfection of men, because otherwise we would fail, we would fall, we would not make it. Even the heart of David fell when he slept with Bathsheba and when he murdered Uriah. And, and all in the things of David's life that we look at men like, this is a man of war. And yet David was faithful. David's heart was fully committed to God and he was restored. And there are always still consequences. Look at verse 6 and the end of verse 7. And this also harkens back to the previous generation. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. In the end of verse 7 it says, And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. The sins of his father had found him out. And the sins of his father continued in his life. As a result there was war. All the days of his life. And as we look at his life, we can, it's easy to be frustrated and look at his life and think, this is really depressing. Because this is a man of God who was set up in the kingdom of God, in the land of God who was promised to them, and he was wicked. How could that be? And we learn from his life that God wants us to be fully committed, wholly committed to who God is. The famous passage in Joshua 24 tells us that God is jealous for our affections. The Lord your God is a jealous God. He wants everything. He doesn't want just Sunday and Wednesday. He wants every single day of your life. And every single day of your life would not be enough time to praise this God. He is worthy of more. We also learn that godliness is greater than personal gain. There's no mention here of his accolades, of his rulership, of his great achievements, only that he did not wholly love God. And as we look at, at his life, we can only come to the conclusion that the, his sin has consequences and we're only going to see those consequences get greater and greater for the rest of the nations, really. For Judah, as, as we continue, there's a legacy here of wicked kings. Asa is a godly king, but if you look even at the north, northern kingdom of Israel, they're wicked kings. 
Wicked kings who passed on wicked patterns to their sons who became wicked kings who did the same thing with their sons. And what we do with our life matters. How we live our life matters. And now we're going to look at the the faith of the son that is King Asa. So follow with me, verses 9 to 15. In the twelfth year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his, heart, that his father had made. He also removed Makkah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image to Ashur. And Asa cut down her image and burned it in the, book, the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken down. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels." We find ourselves looking at King Asa, and we can't help but see the comparison. You know, sometimes you look at the sun and you think, how did that happen? Because they made totally different decisions from their father. And the reality is that a father can do everything right in his power. A father can lead his his child to be godly. A father can lead his child in the ways of the Lord, and it's still up to that child to follow the Lord. And yes, our legacy is important, and our legacy is a real thing, and yet our legacy is not something that is automatically passed down. It is possible to reject the legacy of a godly man in turn for wickedness. It's also possible to reject the legacy of a wicked man in turn for godliness. And we need to know today in this generation that godliness is only one generation away. We cannot be stuck in the doom and gloom of where our our culture is falling apart, they're rejecting God, and we're just shrinking. And we cannot fall in the trap of being deceived, fall in the trap of being depressed. We have to know that our God is still powerful. He can still work. He can still move. He's still faithful. And godliness is only one generation away. We can be those godly men and women. We can do it. So as we do it, let's look at King Asa. Look at verses 9 and 10. In the twelfth year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Absalom. This is who we're talking about. The one who inherited an evil kingdom with evil tendencies, with idol worship. And yet, we have a king here who, in the verdict in verse 11 and 14, says, And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. And in verse 14, But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all of his days. He decided, he chose to serve the Lord with his life. And as complex as we like to make Christian living, 
It is as simple as deciding you are going to serve the Lord. And we can talk all, the, all day about what it means at your workplace to build relationships. And we can go to Bible conferences about what it means to be a disciple maker in 2022. But realistically, we need to know that we have to choose. We have to decide, I want this. So do you want this? Do you want to be a disciple maker? Do you want to be someone pursuing Christ? Because if you don't want it, you're definitely not going to pursue it. And we have to be pursuing it. We have to be wholly committed to the Lord as Asa was. He did what was right, and he wholly was committed to the Lord all of his days. Again, look at that recurring theme, as David his father had done. These men that had come before Asa were men of God. And he looked to those men for what to do in those times when things did get stressful, when things did get difficult. And we have a list that, that I read through that it shows us the things that he had done. He put away all the male cult prostitutes from the land. He removed them. He removed the idols that his fathers had made. Perhaps most remarkably, he removed his mother from being queen because she had made an image to a pagan goddess. Imagine going to the person who raised you, going to the person who you care about and you love and saying, I'm sorry, but you are no longer in control. You're no longer reigning. I'm taking away your power because you do not serve God. That is the cost of discipleship. Look at Mark chapter 12 for that in the New Testament. But look at this in the Old Testament. This is the cost of discipleship. That is hating your family over the gospel. That is saying, I care more about my relationship with God than I do with making sure my family is okay with my decisions. That is taking a stand. He cut down the image and burnt it in the brook Kidron. And he restored gifts to the house of the Lord. And he made it the center of worship. He put emphasis on the house of the Lord and he served God. And he tore down the idols. The word here for high places is simply just a place of worship. So there are places here that were not torn down that should have been torn down. Nevertheless, his heart was wholly true to God. See the nuance here. There are things that he did not do. He was not a perfect man. In fact, there was one more thing I didn't mention on purpose here in verses 16 to 24. Let's read through that. And there was war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, the king of Judah. When Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasure of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants, and King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Timbermon, and the son of Hazion, the king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a covenant between me and you. 
as there was between my father and your father. Again, the father's there. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, conquering Aijon, Dan, Belbath, Maka, and Sinarath, with all the land of Naphtali, where Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah. He lived in Teraz. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. None was exempt, and he carried away the stones of Ramah and built timber, which, was Basha, which, which Basha had been building. And with them, King Asa built Geba, Benjamin, and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did, the cities that he built, are, not, are, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of kings of Judah. But his, in his old age, he was diseased in his foot. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. This act was not an act of worship to God. Essentially what's happening is here is he is at war with the kingdom of the north. And he looks to the king of Syria to save him, and he makes a treaty with a pagan king, and he says, I'll give you this gold and this silver, even of my own household and the household of God, and just so you can break your covenant with the king of the north, Basha, and you can be my protector. And in, in, in the Second Chronicles 16, it records the consequences for this action. Let me read verses 7 to 14 for you. This is Second Chronicles 16, 7 to 14. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on you will have wars. When Asa, then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the time. And the acts of Asa from the first to the last were written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his foot, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers. At the end of his life, much like Solomon, he turned away and he forgot his God. He, he turned away from his trust, from his faith, and he didn't turn to the Lord for help. And he is, he, he is told by Hananiah his, his guilt here. A man who sought the Lord in his young age forgot the Lord in his old age. And it's interesting to look at these passages because these people are real. I think often we can look at these passages and we can think, well, this king was wicked, this king was good, and that's all there is to it. No, there's a lot of nuance here. Because these people really existed. They were not perfect. And yet, they were still men like Asa here. who was characterized by a man, after, a man who, who sought the Lord wholly. Much like David, who was a man after God's own heart, who was a man of war. 
And I think we see a list, and we just like to think through, well, he did this, 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 and this. He's a good king. And God looks at the heart. And God looks at our hearts, and that tells me that, that we can do all the right things, that we can do all the good things that we see in front of us. We can do all the ministries, and we can tell people all about Jesus, and yet if our heart is not committed, if our heart is not wholly committed to God, God still sees it. You know that God cares about your attitude? God cares about the posture of your heart. He wants you to be humble. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to serve the church. He wants you to serve your community. He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. From Joshua, we learn that he's a jealous God. Think about all the times in the Old Testament when Moses would intercede for the people and he said, I'm going to destroy these people because they're so evil. And Moses says, what about your name, God? What about your name? How will the people know that this is the Lord God who delivered them out of the people of Israel? And that, that statement is true that God is concerned about his name. God is jealous over his name and he wants his name to be proclaimed. And God's mercy is displayed in the fact that he uses these sinful people. And there's also hope in the fact that these people are characterized as people who wholly sought the Lord. You can do it. We can do it. It's not going to be in our own strength. It's not going to be because we're perfect people. It's because we love the Lord. Even though he was not perfect, he pursued the Lord. Asa needed God, and so do you. We need God. And his legacy here is, is printed well in, in 1 Kings, but also we need to look at what happens after he dies. Right? So what legacy does he, does he, he, can he uh, give to his son? Look at 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 41 to 43. After several kings of the north have, have reigned and died because of their wickedness, I believe five or six kings have, have reigned and died. That's why it's several pa passages apart. We find ourselves in 1 Kings 22 where Asa's son is taking the narrative here. And it says, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 45 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Uzabah, the daughter of Shahi, and he walked in the ways of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. This is his son. I want you to note something here. Look at verse 43. It says, there's two statements here that are, that are equated, that are very similar. He walked in the ways of Asa, his father. Then the end of the verse, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's Asa's legacy. Asa's son was able to look at his father's life and say, that's a man of God. I want to be like him. I want to serve God like my father did. I want to be like that man because he loved his God. Holy, he was totally committed. And as we see that these people are so 
complicated, and yet they are simple. The simple fact is that Asa served God wholly with all of his life, and yet he slipped up. Yet he was not perfect. And we talk about legacies, most of the time there is good and bad. Because when a new generation of families come up, they look at the, the families on this side and on this side, and they think, I like this from this side and this from this side, and I think we could have do this better. And then they make their own mistakes in the process. And then what happens is they, they see the legacy of their parents in their marriage. They see the faithfulness of God in their own lives. They see what God can do with a family that is built on the word of God. Because he's still faithful. He's still fulfilling his promises. He still is enduring. Through all the trials, through all the doubts, through everything that goes on in our lives, he is still faithful. Even through the sins of the father and Abijam, even through the, the wickedness of the kings of the north and of the south, even in the faith of the son, God is faithful. He shows his faithfulness to Asa. And we also have a legacy of faithfulness in Jehoshaphat. As Jehoshaphat lives his life, he looks back on his childhood and he sees that man of God led Judah well. And he lived his life well because he did it serving the Lord. I pray that that would be our lives. That we would do that. And the the theme here again of the father, the long-lasting effects of a father on his children. God wants us to have a godly legacy. Not for our sake, but for his. Because he wants us to walk with him. He wants us to lead the people who we influence to walk with him. Because if we're leading people to walk in our name, we're leading people down a path of destruction. This is not about my name or my ability or your ability or your leadership or your greatness or your achievements or my uh, anything of me or you. This is about our God. Which is why it's so much more important Ronald Reagan said in 1984 that without God, there is no virtue. Because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God, we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is coarseness of society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot endure. If we, have ever, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. We need to be a nation pursuing God. That begins with families pursuing God. That begins with you pursuing God. Don't just keep this in the broad perspective. Keep this focused on what God's going to do in your life. How can God change me? What ways can I let go of the sins of my past so I can more easily run towards the prize? What way, in what ways can I live for God? And you may be sitting there thinking, well, Jordan, I agree with you. Amen, amen, amen. But life is hard, and my desires are real, and I'm struggling. And to that I say, I'm right there with you. Because life is full of struggles, and life is challenging. And yet there is still an answer for those struggles. 
Because James 4 tells us exactly what are, what's causing these fights and, and, and quarrels. He tells us our hearts. He shows us who we are in James 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not obtain because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of God, a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is of no purpose? Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us. Verse 6 is a great verse but he gives more grace. Amen? There are desires. There are things in our lives that pull us away from our walk with God. But he gives more grace. He gives new grace every single day to help us walk. And as we could even go to Ephesians 6 and talk about the, the, the battle within us with the, with the armor of God and putting on the armor of God and knowing that this book is true and that God's word is still true and knowing that we can be equipped if we only seek him. Just know that your decision, your legacy is important. And it's not just this broad picture. Your decisions affect your legacy. And legacies are built one decision at a time. And godliness that we ought to be pursuing is possible. We can pursue God today. Are you pursuing God today? Is that something that you want to do? Or are you sitting there thinking that I really want to, but it's, it seems really challenging right now because I just, I'm not in the word and I'm not, I don't feel like I can pray. Go to God. Don't feel like you have to prepare yourself to pray. Just go to him like a child to, his fa- to your father. Be humble. Submit yourself. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I, I, I agree. And I feel like I'm doing this, but my children are walking away from the Lord. And I'm not seeing the fruit that you're talking about. God works, and we don't know how God works all the time. And we understand that the personal decisions that people make can sometimes hurt us, especially when they fly in the face of everything they've been taught. But we know that God's word is still true. Our responsibility as church members, as people who lead others, as as parents, is to preach the word of God to make disciples of all nations. If that's what we are doing, we are doing the will of God. So my prayer today is that we would be reminded that godliness is only one generation away. We can do it. So let's be be reinvigorated. Let's love God wholly with our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the life and legacy of Asa. I thank you that you chose to use a man who was not perfect, and yet he pursued you, and yet he loved you, despite having a legacy handed to him that was not godly. 
I pray that we would not think of excuses, but that we would pursue you, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In your son's name, amen.